I remember as a kid going to um, going to London and hearing that announcement, "Mind the gap." Mind the gap. And uh, actually, apparently, sadly, the guy who recorded the "Mind the Gap" thing in the London Underground recently uh, passed away. But that still is a legacy of London, isn't it? Mind the gap. Mind the gap. If we're growing in God and we're getting prophetic words from God or God is giving us dreams and visions, he's talking to us about where we're going and what we're becoming and what we're going to see happen in and through us. If we're growing, there's always going to be a gap between who you are, who I currently am, who we are as a corporate body and where we're going. If we're growing and going somewhere with God, there's always going to be that gap between what I'm currently stepping out into, what I'm currently believing God for, what I'm currently seeing God do through me, and the promise of where God is taking me. It's a wonderful thing with God. It's like he takes us up a mountain and we think, wow, when I get to the top of that mountain with you, Father then we'll be there and then he he sees a wonderful range of mountains or he shows you a wonderful range of mountains and there's more adventures, there's more possibilities, there's more things where he's taking us. One of my practices is I like to journal, I like to journal at least once or twice a week and it's really interesting to look back on old journals and look back on old faith statements or things I was believing God for and think, Wow, is that all you expected? Was that all you were believing God for? Was that the level of your expectancy? And as you go with God, you find actually he's expanding and stretching and giving you more. It means we're going somewhere. It means we're going somewhere. When we first started treasure hunting, which is where we go out on the streets and asking God for the people to go and pray for, the mountain was to get out onto the streets. It was to be there. I remember when a team came to help us get out on the streets and one of the team leaders said, it might be raining tomorrow. And I was thinking in my head, oh, let it rain, let it rain. Open up the heavens once again, God. Let it rain because I don't want to go out. Please just give me an excuse so I don't have to go. Because that was where my faith was. And we went. And God blessed us. And then there was another sense of, well, we're growing into something more. We're going after more. So it's not now enough to go out. Mm. We want to see signs that make, make people wonder, that cause them to ask questions about Jesus, because we want to see people come to Christ in the streets. And that's the same for you and your personal level. You, you might think, wow... I want this much hope, or I want this much faith, or I want this much joy. And there's always a gap between what you're currently experiencing and what's being on offer. I want to talk this morning really about how you mind the gap. What do you do with the gap between where you currently are and where God is taking you? What do you actually do about the gap? What do you do about closing the gap? What is your part? What's God's part? And in particular... I want to talk about a deadly response to minding the gap. And I want to talk about some of the dangers of introspection 
and some of the dangers of looking inwards to try and mind the gap or close the gap. What I mean by introspection is you, you see where you're going and you see where you currently are and then you look inwards to try and find the root problem or the block within yourself. Where you, you look inwards and think, okay, this is where God's taking me, this is where I currently am. To mind the gap or to close the gap, I've got to fix something within myself. I've got to somehow fix something internally within me so that I'm qualified to inherit what God wants to give. Am I the only person who's ever fallen into that pit? I mean, is anybody else can relate to that? You see what God wants to give you and then you hear the promise and you think, well, it's now all up to me to fulfil that promise. Maybe when the team were here and on that Saturday night you received a prophetic word. It was talking about your identity. It was talking about who you're becoming. It was talking about what God wanted to do in you and what God wanted to do through you. And maybe your response of coming from that was to say, how am I going to fix myself? How am I going to qualify to inherit that thing that God is placing on my heart? I want to say that introspection kills because what it does essentially, it removes your eyes from trusting and depending upon God and it makes you your own saviour. I want to say that's why introspection can be such a dangerous thing because it's like you go inwards to fix yourself to qualify and it takes your eyes off Christ and it places it on yourself. That your hope isn't in you. Your hope isn't in you. Your hope is always in the one who promised. Like when Jeremiah... God speaks to Jeremiah about what God wants to do through Jeremiah. And Jeremiah says, but I'm only a youth. And God says, don't say that. Don't say that. Because when God speaks, his heart is not that we do it for him, but that he's going to do something in us and he's going to do something through us. And so our attention is always to be upon God. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong to invite the Holy Spirit to come and say, uh, this area needs tweaking. It's not wrong when you, you wake up in a foul mood, maybe, and you say, actually, what's wrong with my soul? It's not wrong to come to God and say, what actually needs developing here? It's not wrong to do what we, we, we're seeing established here, a sozo, where the Holy Spirit will, will point out what needs fixing in your relationship with God. It's not wrong to have moments where he comes and points to a broken spot. It's not wrong to have those moments. But it is wrong if that's only the moments we're having. If our only relationship with God is, I'm going to look in with to get something fixed, that's not the place we want to camp and spend all of our life. That's not where we want to spend most of our time. That when we have a revelation of this is a broken spot or this needs fixing or this needs maturity, it's not that we go inwards to fix it, sort it and close the gap ourselves. It's that we now know what we need of Christ. It's now we know what we need to come to him for. It's in that moment where we have a revelation that this is broken or this needs fixing, it's we come to him with that, that he would give us grace. 
we would come to him and say, would you help me? And we hear in those moments him saying, yeah, I will help. I will help. I will help. And I think that's why quite a lot of Christians are exhausted, because they think it's all about themselves and all about fixing themselves. I would say most of our walk with God needs to be captivated by his love and in absolute devotion to him. I would say that's the place where most of our lives need to be spent in awe and wonder at the God who has qualified us to have access and intimacy and connection with him through the finished work of the cross. Our eyes actually mostly need to be faced with looking at him, looking at what he's done, looking at how he's loved the world, look at what was achieved at the cross, at the resurrection, understanding how how he has qualified us to enjoy the inheritances and the promises. That's where most of our attention needs to be on. Actually, thanksgiving is a powerful tool for causing you to look, to move from looking inwards to looking upwards. Gratitude, thanksgiving, appreciation are beautiful things to, to practice in order to be captivated by who he is and what he promises to be and what he promises to do in you. Your responsibility is not to fix yourself. Your responsibility is not to fix yourself. When he gives a promise of where he wants to take us and what he wants to do for us, he does not expect us to do it for him. He doesn't expect us to buck our ideas up and try extra hard to close the gap. He expects it to draw us near him. He expects us to believe in the identity he then gives us. To come to him and say, I believe what you're saying about me. I believe the assessment that you give of me. I believe this prophetic promise that you give. How can I, with you, become the kind of person who can walk in that? What grace can I receive from you so that I can carry the weight that you want me to carry in the future without it breaking or crushing me? How can I co-labour with you? How can I partner with you? How can I cooperate with you, Father? And one of the ways that we can cooperate with him is just being captivated by him and captivated by his goodness and captivated by his love and captivated by what he has done. That Jesus, when you said it's finished, you really meant it's finished. When you, you died, you did everything. You achieved everything for my reconciliation, for my restoring to me to come home to the Father, to be absolutely righteous and spotless and blameless to be able to come into your presence, to come into your throne of grace, to receive grace and mercy in every time of need that I have. That my eyes are not on myself, my eyes are on you, because I'm going to receive something from you, because you have the grace that I need. And when I come to you, Christ, I hear you say, I will help. That's what I hear you say. I want to talk, finally, just about what God's voice is like. Because... God's voice, you can know what God's voice is like by turning to Galatians 6. The fruit of the Spirit is, is the very nature of God. <laughs> That's what God is like. It's, an, it's a summary of the immeasurable God. It's, it's something of his, it's, it's a snapshot, it's a window into this is what you're like. That when you speak, in Galatians 5, 23, it's always going to be full of love. That your tone is going to be full of love. That's what your tone is like. Hello. 
And it's always going to be full of joy. And it's always going to be full of peace. In absence of irritation and frustration and annoyance. That when you speak to me, it's always going to be loving and joyful and peaceful and forbearing and kind. And it's always going to be good. And it's always going to be full of faithfulness and gentleness. And you're full of self-control. So even when God brings correction to our life, that's how he's going to speak. That when God does speak, and when God does point out the bit that says to us, where you're going, you can't take that with you. Where you're heading, son, daughter, you're going to have to let go of that, and you're going to have to let go of that attitude, and you'll have to change your mind about that, and you'll need a new mindset here, that even when his voice brings correction, is his voice is kind, it's gentle, it has a loving tone, it has a joyful tone, it has a peaceful tone, that God's voice is full of life. Sometimes our own inner voice, when we see the gap between who we are and where we're going, is harsh and critical and condemning. That's not God's voice. That's not how God speaks. That's not how God speaks. Too many of us have got in our heads a tone of voice that is not God's tone of voice. His voice is joyful, peaceful, never frustrated, never irritated. There's life attached to his voice. In Revelation, it talks about uh, the enemy as being an accuser. It talks about him accusing the brothers and sisters 24 hours a day. To accuse is to always be pointing out a person's faults is to always be pointing out a person's failures. An accuser always talks about a person's past. The accuser always talks about a person's limitation. Accusers, the accuser, does not come to you to improve you. He doesn't speak to help you or motivate you in closing the gap between who you are now and where the good father is taking you. Accusers never, ever, 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 ever speak to improve you. And so if a voice comes with an accusatory tone to you that says, who do you think you are to be leaving that about yourself or that about where you're going or that about the purpose or the dream or the vision that you carry, if it comes and has no life in it, if it comes and has no love in it, If it comes and has no joy in it, if it comes and has no peace in it, if it comes and leaves you demotivated, despairing and heavy, dismiss it. It's not the voice of God. I would say one of the key things for the believer to understand in this journey is to discern the tone of God's voice. To discern the tone of God's voice. It says... Jesus was accused, I think, at least nine times in the Gospels. He was accused of having a demon. He was accused of, if you're the son of God, I'm doubting, I'm casting aspersions on your claims of who you say you are. 
He was accused nine times. And the accusation never came to improve Jesus because Jesus was absolutely perfect in every single way. Tempted just like us, but never sinned. Accusation never came to him for improvement's purpose. It came to only rob him and steal from him, negate him, deny him. That's what that voice was in those nine accusations in the Gospels. Accusers never come to rescue. Saviours don't accuse. Saviours save. Saviours save. And I'd say this is so important for us in where we're heading both individually and as a local church. Because it's so obvious we have gaps between the prophetic promise and what we're believing God for. And that's a good place to be. Because that means we've heard something that we cannot do without God. It's a good place to be, is having impossible promises. But when you have impossible promises, and you look at yourself and say, Oh well, I could join with Abraham and I can see the dead parts of who I am. And I can see the barren parts of who I am. And I've got this impossible promise. It would be easy to listen to the accuser's voice and say, do you really believe that you can be such a blessing to your workplace, your family, the supermarkets, the places where you go, and this community? Look at yourself. And that's an accusing voice that does not come to improve, and it doesn't come to encourage, it just demotivates. But when the father comes, and when the father speaks, he always brings life. And he always brings motivation. And he always brings who he is. He's the God of all hope. So when he speaks, it should always leave you full of hope. Even when he's pointing out a fundamental area of brokenness, it will always come with hope. Even when you read the Bible and it comes alive and you realise, wow, I've been so full of unbelief. Even in a moment of conviction and repentance, it should always be full of hope. His voice will always lead you to his love. And I'm going to say that if it doesn't do that, you have to question whose voice you're listening to. If it's not leading to life and hope and freedom and joy, I doubt it's very much the voice of God. I, I doubt it's his voice. If after listening to that voice you feel listless and lifeless and hopeless and despairing, you've not been listening to the voice of God. You've not been listening to the voice of God. And it's so important that we listen to the voice of God. Because he'll motivate us. He'll encourage us. And he'll help us. Come with me, son. We're going to climb this one together. Take my hand. I'm going to be doing it in you and through you. As John Wimber says, since you can do nothing, God said to him, how much help do you need? And so I'm climbing this mountain. We're going to walk together. Because we're climbing a mountain called leading people to Christ in the streets. We're climbing a mountain called signs that make people wonder. We're climbing a mountain called, I'm going to believe who I am and what I carry and I change every atmosphere I walk in. We're climbing that mountain together. But I'm not doing it for you and I'm not going to listen to the accuser say, you call yourself... Uh, you call yourself doing the work of an evangelist we've we've laughed at the accusatory voice we have to laugh at his voice because if it doesn't lead to life and it doesn't lead to courage and it doesn't lead to faith and it doesn't lead to expectation it's not the voice of God I don't care how holy it speaks 
and how even correct it is, it's not his voice. Even if he's right, let God speak when he wants about that. Even if you think actually he's correct, well, has he come to save you? Because a saviour comes not just to point out what's correct, but he comes to save you. He comes to bring life. He comes to bring liberty. So in closing, I would encourage you, I would encourage you the practice of loving God and worshipping God and delighting in God and being captivated with God and thankfulness and appreciation of who he is is the best, safest, most beautiful place that you can be in the world. And let the Holy Spirit speak. Let the Holy Spirit come with clarity. Let his loving, gentle, life-giving voice speak. Let his kindness lead you to change your mind, to repent. But even repentance is a place of deep joy and deep peace and deep hope. Because in that moment you're thinking, I'm getting more of God. What we did, what Tim led us in this morning and said, I'm getting more hope today, I'm getting more joy today, I'm getting more faith today, was a beautiful moment of what repentance looks like. It's always an exchange. My weakness for his strength. My limited perspective to a greater gaze of how he sees me and how he sees the world. Practicing enjoying God and worship.